Our first reading is an excerpt from a sermon that was delivered in the fall of 2007 at the installation of Galen Gingrich as the new senior minister of the All Souls Unitarian Church in New York City. In the sermon, Professor um, Dr. Diana Eck, a Harvard professor, she was herself a Methodist, but she's one of the leading scholars on religion in America. In this address, she called on Unitarian Universalists to take seriously our place in the religious landscape of America. And this is what she said, a piece of what she said. I believe that Unitarian Universalists have a very important role in this new religious America and the new millennium of the world in which we live. You are, in my estimation, the church of the new millennium. In this era, Unitarian Universalism is not the lowest common denominator, but the highest common calling. In a world divided by race and by religion and ideology, the very presence of a church like this, committed to the oneness of God and love of God, the love of neighbor and service to humanity, it's a beacon. Your theology And yes, Dr. Diana X says, you do have one. (laughs) Your theology does not reduce the mystery of the divine or the transcendent, but amplifies it, broadens it to include the investigation of the many, many ways in which the divine is known and yet unknown. The world is in need of your theology. Our second reading is from the poet John O'Donohue, and it's a, a reading that's actually titled For a New Beginning, not, not what's in your order of service. This one is called For a New Beginning. <clears throat> in out-of-the-way places of the heart, in out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander. This beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched you grow, watched your desire, seen the emptiness growing inside you, Noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered. Heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped into new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning, 
that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon, you will be home in a new rhythm. For your soul senses the world that awaits you. For your soul senses the world that awaits you. on this Sunday, the Sunday following Easter, that reading from John O'Donohue, that piece I just read called For a New Beginning, it seemed like just the right one. Because in the days leading up to Easter, as the story goes, it seems as if hope and love and possibility have just been crushed, destroyed. A great teacher, a reformer, one who welcomed all to the table, has been murdered crucified. Despair is in the air, and all seems lost. But then something happens on Easter, a resurrection of the Spirit, if you will. Everything is certainly different, yes, but there's an understanding that not all is lost. Hope is still alive in the world. Love somehow survives. Death does not have the final word. And that is good news. And whatever darkness we have been entombed in, after Easter, we sense a new beginning, a chance to, in those words of John O'Donohue, a chance to awaken our spirit to adventure, to hold nothing back, to learn to find ease and risk as our soul senses the world that awaits us. So it feels right. It feels right to me to follow Easter with a sermon series called The Good News and to focus on what our good news is as a Unitarian Universalist faith community. And I have to tell you, just to share a story here, I have to tell you every Sunday in the receiving line, I meet so many of you, often guests, but longtime members as well. And, and when it's guests, especially, the conversation goes like this. It goes something like this. Hey, welcome. You know, how'd you find us? What'd you think of the sermon today? And the response to that question is almost always positive. And as I was thinking about this, I realized um, there's probably a reason for that. It's a little awkward in the receiving line to be like, well, preacher, <laughs> you know, that was kind of a C, maybe a C plus sermon today. Or, you know, that just... That really didn't work for me at all, actually. <laughs> like, um, that, those opinions are probably out there at various points in time. But what I do hear in the, in the receiving line is really um, positive things. And it seems to me, as, as I talk to people who are new to this community, and many of you, it seems like there's something about this faith community that is speaking to you. There's a way that we're doing religion here that is engaging to you. It seems like my sense is that, that you believe this is a relevant faith, a faith that can speak to the pain in your life, the questions in your life, and can speak to your life in deep ways. There's a sense I have as I talk to you that, that you believe that there is good news here for you, for your families, for, for the world even. 
So that's what we're going to dig into in this sermon series, the sermon series on the good news, really taking some time to call out, to name the good news of Unitarian Universalism. And I want to share just another short story with you that points to just one piece of our good news. A couple of weeks ago, I was biking home from church and at the bike racks out there on on, uh, DuPont, unlocking my bike, and another congregant was there with her bike, and I said, which way are you going? We were both going south, and so we decided to ride together and talk together. And she gave me permission to share this story. She's one of our youth advisors in the church school program, and she shared that the youth always have lots of questions, oftentimes really good, hard-hitting questions, right, that make us as adults kind of, well, if you have kids, you know what this is like, right? Like, the biggest questions. They're like, well... Shoot, let me just think about that for a while and I'll get back to you here. So she was sharing the story of this experience where in one of the classes, the, the, the youth were really asking about, about her faith, saying, okay, so you say you're an atheist. Okay, so why as an atheist do you come to church then, huh? Like, why would you come to church as an atheist? Why, why would an atheist come to church? And I know a number of you in the pews identify as atheists, and there's a whole variety of reasons that the atheists come to church. So there's no one right answer to this question. I want to say that on the front end, but here's what this congregant said as we rode bikes together and talked. She said, As an atheist, I come to church because I want help figuring out the right questions to ask about life and purpose and meaning. Simply put, she said, church is the place that helps me focus on and ask the right questions questions about the purpose of my life. I love that. I love that. I mean, come on now. That is awesome, right? That's a new way. That's a whole new way to do religion. We're we're not saying, all right, only you who believe a certain way, you know, come in the door. That's great. We're saying, okay, atheists, theists, Unitarian, Universalists, liberal Christians, Buddhists, agnostics, people who don't know what the heck you believe. Like, this is a church for everyone that wants to be engaged in that quest for a life of meaning and purpose, that wants love and compassion to live at the center of our lives, that wants to be filled with that love and make that love real in the world so that despite loss and heartbreak and grief and even death, what we leave behind, what the final word is, is love. A love beyond belief. That is what holds us here. A love beyond belief. What we believe matters. Yes, of course it does. But how we are, how we live, is what matters more. It reminds me of this poem from Hafez, a 14th century Persian poet. Maybe some of you know this poem. I have learned so much from God that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth has shared so much of itself with me that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended Hafez so completely it has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. Love has freed Hafez from every concept or image his mind has known, and what's left is just this 
big old love. Beyond the labels, atheist, theist, agnostic, Christian, Jew, there is only love. And every Sunday we remind ourselves of this when we say, in the universalist spirit of love and hope, we give, receive, and grow. That is our mission in the world. And to unpack that a little bit further, we believe that here, that might be God. That'd be awesome. It'd be like, actually, <laughs> Reverend, I have to tell you, <laughs> you're wrong about that. Um, <laughs> I am, <laughs> you know, a Hindu, actually, or whatever it is. Um, I don't think God would do that, and he'd probably choose something way more um, sophisticated than a cell phone, but who knows. Um, All right, let me come back to our universalist spirit of love and hope. We give, receive, and grow. (laughs) Actually, it reminds me, I I did this service (laughs) back in my young days when I was really um, learning ministry. I I used to do this alternative service and wanted to, it was sort of, we were trying to be a little bit edgy and, and reach unchurched people at this Unitarian church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I was preaching about vocation, you know, calling, your purpose in the world. And I had a friend in the pews who actually called my cell phone, which I had on the highest ringing volume in my phone, in my pocket. So it rang. I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. And I, pre- you know, I was embarrassed. My phone went off. And then I answered it. And I had this five-minute conversation um, with God, goddess, you know, during the service. And it was like, that's a very important call to get. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know where I'm going with that, other, other, than, other than I'm so aware of how awful it is when your phone does go off in the service, and like, it's no big deal. Like, we're going to roll with it. I said some things, we're rolling on. Here we go. Held. <laughs> here we go. So here, with the give, receive, grow. Here, with the give, receive, grow. Here, held by a grace and a love that will not let us go. That frees us up, held by that love and that grace. That frees us up to give our time and our attention and our treasure and our hearts to needs that are greater than our own. Here, held by a love that will not let us go, we are then able to open up and receive the gifts and blessings of this world. And here, held by a love that will not let us go, we are invited to grow into love's people. We become love's people as we serve one another and the wider community, as we build houses with Habitat for Humanity in North Minneapolis, as we serve food at Simpson Shelter and Project Homeless Connect, as we stand with, on the side of love with our gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender brothers and sisters in opposition to the discriminatory marriage amendment that will be on the ballot in November. We grow into love's people. Our good news is that we really believe that God is not a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu. We believe God is love, and we believe in the gospel of inclusion. And I think you all sense this. You all know this on some deep level, and that's why you're here, right? This is where you can nod or you can say amen or like, I'm with you on that one. Like, that's the experience. There's a a sense of that you have on Sunday morning in our small groups, in the classes we offer here. And that's why you're here. Because at the end of the day, we believe that love has the power to defeat racism, to defeat homophobia. Love can bind up the broken and shape us into new people. And we want to be part of that story. And I have to tell you, when I wrote this, 
when I read it just now, when I read it at 9.30, there is a part of me talking about this love that can end racism, that can end homophobia, that can bind us up. There's a part of me that thinks that is a ridiculous, naive, absurd, silly claim to make. I mean, look around the world. Look around at the world we live in. And then I come back to this truth, which is I have felt that love at work in my own life that has shaped me and transformed me, that has opened my heart wider than I thought it could be opened and invited me to embrace others who seemed different. I think of that life, of that love moving in my own life, and I think maybe that's not so crazy. Maybe that's not so crazy. So the essence, the bold declaration of our good news is that we really do believe that love can transform us and the world. We're putting our lives behind that. So I've gone pretty, pretty far, pretty deep into the good news, and maybe I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. I want to uh, take a few minutes to back up and to locate Unitarian Universalism in the broader religious landscape so you have a sense of the context of our good news and where and how we fit in the bigger religious landscape. Does that make sense? So we have a context for Unitarian Universalism, how we fit in the landscape and and the good news that comes out of that. So just a tiny bit of history here. And you could, if you want, imagine that I have a massive um, chalkboard up here and I'm going to be like in professorial mode for uh, a few minutes. And it's really going to be fast. It's a turbo history lesson here. not going to be nuanced at all. It's 2,000 years of religious history in like three minutes, okay? So it's pretty quick, but it'll, it, it'll capture the, the biggest sort of nuggets and then locate us where we need to be. Many, many of you know that for the first 300 years of Christianity's existence, there were all sorts of different groups that believed different things about Jesus, about God, about what it meant to be a Christian, all of that kind of stuff. There was no... Uh, set party line. There was no monolithic Christian faith. It was all sorts of different understandings and interpretations. And then in the early fourth century, at the Council of Nicaea, this massive gathering that the Roman emperor called together with all these religious leaders, they voted on the doctrine of the Trinity. So the Trinity becomes a, a concrete dimension of Christianity at that point in time. The Trinity is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not long after that, This notion of original sin, which was not a part of the early Christian story, certainly not a part of the Jewish understanding, that began to be formally sort of woven in to the Roman Catholic Church as well. So in the 4th and 5th centuries, both the Trinity and original sin set in place. And during that time, then, now with some unifying principles, the Roman Catholic Church really comes into power. And so for the next thousand years, that's essentially the religion of of Western Europe. There's little Jewish pockets and little Islamic pockets, but it's mostly Roman Catholicism. But check this out. A guy named Johannes Gutenberg invents the printing press. Right? We're like, printing press? You know, there's smartphones and all this stuff now. You're like, well, that's old school. Well, it, it was very new school. And what it did is it allowed 
for the Bible to be reproduced. So for, for thousands of years, the leaders in the, in the Roman Catholic Church had been, basically been interpreting the Scripture for everyone else, saying this is, this is what it says, here's what you need to do. And as the printing press came into being, people had Bibles they could read for themselves. And they're like, hey, wait a second, it doesn't say we need to give a lot of the money to the church to not spend time in purgatory. It doesn't say anything. What the heck's going on? Like, they start to read it for themselves and say, we need to reform this religion that's gotten really warped by this power structure in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. So, dozens of religious groups start to splinter off from, from the Catholic Church in what is known as the Protestant Reformation. And this is where Calvinists and Lutherans and Baptists and Unitarians and Universalists, we all essentially emerge out of that Reformation. Are you with me? It's a lot of information. You're trapped. Okay, so here's an image that might really help, help this make sense. So if you imagine a tree, you imagine this massive tree, like the trunk of the tree is the Roman Catholic Church. So in the Protestant Reformation, you have these big branches then that are coming off of the tree, like Lutherans and Calvinists and Baptists and these different groups. And then the Unitarian Universalists are probably a little twig or another little branch off of one of those other branches sort of way out here. We're still on the tree, I know some people think, like, hey, let's just leave the tree, but we're, we're still a part of the tree. We're still a part of the tree, but we're, we don't have, we sort of said, we're done with popes. We're, we're done with the religious hierarchy. Each congregation is autonomous. They can call their minister. They set their own criteria for membership and how they want to be together. We're bound together by a promise, a covenant, not, not a creedal statement. So we're, we're on the tree, but way over here. All right. And, and way out on that tree, we have left behind the dogma and all the stuff that's at, at the trunk, at the trunk. And as Unitarian Universalists, we fall under this category of liberal religion. And much of our good news comes from being a liberal religious people. So I want to tell you what I mean by that and what some of the characteristics are of a liberal religious people. And I have also put this on my blog, so if, if you don't capture it all right now, or it's just a lot of information, you can look on the blog. So here's where I want to start. James Luther Adams, who was a well-known liberal religious thinker and a Unitarian Universalist, he suggested there are some key characteristics of liberal religion. And he actually has five, but I've sort of, sort of condensed them into four. Four key components of liberal religion. And I think as you hear these, my hope is, it will resonate with you. And you'll say, oh yeah, that, I am a re- liberal religious person. This, is, this has nothing to do with politics, mind you. This is about an orientation, a religious framework of how to see and think about the world and truth and wisdom. So here are these four key components. The first is revelation and truth are continuing to unfold. Are you with me on that? A, a, religious, a religious fundamentalist would argue that there is one final, ultimate truth that has total authority, like a, a sacred scripture or a person, and that's it. If you have questions, if you have anything, like that's where you look, because, because the wisdom came out once, there's no more wisdom coming, it's right there, that's where you go for your answers. As liberal religious people, we say, wow, we can look at poetry, we can look through the, you know, the Hubble telescope out into deep space, we can hear music, we can from nature, from our own experiences, these are things that shape us and help us understand truth. We look at sacred scripture, but so much more. We believe that a final truth has not yet been captured. And as we have new insights and understanding, deeper truth continues 
to unfold. That's the first one. Truth and revelation are continuing to unfold. The second piece that marks liberal religious people is that relationships between human beings are at their best in a religious community when there is mutual love and care and people are not coerced to think or believe a certain way. We are at our best as human beings, liberal religious people would say, when we can be a part of a loving, mutually caring community where we are not coerced or forced to believe or think something that doesn't sit with our own experience. This is in contrast to a fundamentalist or orthodox religion where they would say, here's the, you know, you need to say the Nicene Creed and believe this and believe this. Like, that's who we are as a people, not religious liberals. The third thing is that we have an obligation, a moral obligation, to help create a just and loving community, to live our faith in the world, to help create the beloved community, heaven, if you will, here on earth. We're not waiting for another paradise or a better world or something to come, you know, sometime in the future. We believe we must be the hands of love and justice in this world. That's the third one. We have a moral obligation to create the kingdom of love here. And there's a lot of religious communities, this is in contrast to many religious communities that that say this earth is sort of garbage, trash, like there's going to be a big rapture, all the good people are going to go, everyone else is kind of left behind to smoke and burn and try to figure out why they didn't believe soon enough, whatever. Um, And we say no. I mean, I'm being a little bit dismissive because that theology is so foreign to us as liberal religious people. We say this earth matters, how we are here matters, how we create the kingdom of love here matters. And the fourth one, the final one here, is religious liberals live in hope. We trust the abundance of the resources around us, human resources, divine resources. We trust those resources are there to help us change the world, and so we live in hope. Remember this line from the O'Donohue poem. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Not clear where we're going, but trusting the resources are there. That's a lot to hold, isn't it? Those four things. Like you have one of them, maybe you're like, Revelation is not sealed. What are the other three? Ah, pop quiz in the receiving line. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> So it's a lot. It's a lot to hold. Here's the super quick recap. So if you're taking notes, you can like flesh out those notes. Here's the super quick recap. Truth is unfolding. Truth is unfolding. Non-coercive loving relationships matter in a religious community. That's the second one. We have an obligation to work for a just and loving world. And because we trust that the resources are there to help create such a world, we live with What do you think? Yeah. Yay, right? (laughs) So in many ways, that gives us a landing place. We land in that liberal religious people uh, place. And out of that, then, we are specifically Unitarian Universalists. Um, There's lots of other religious liberals that are a part of that. Congregationalist churches, United Church of Christ, Quakers, lots of other groups. Okay. So now that we have that little history sidetrack, back to some good news. Do you guys want to hear some more good news? Yeah. All right. A couple more pieces of good news. 
our good news. Here we go. In a world that breaks us down, isolates, isolates us, and turns us into little consuming units, we offer good news that there is another way to be in the world. And that way is... (laughs) We offer the good news that there's another way to be in the world. We suggest that we can know wholeness in our lives. We can know wholeness in this religious community as we welcome one another, as we listen to one another, and as we serve needs greater than our own, always making room for one more that helps us move toward wholeness. Our good news is that we proclaim the supreme worth of every human being. Heterosexual, homosexual, black, white, brown, young, old, agnostic, atheist, theist, we are an inclusive faith. Our good news is that love is the spirit of this church and that we are here to dwell together in peace and to seek the truth in love and to help one another. And as we live more deeply into that promise, that covenant, that thing we say every Sunday, I think our hearts wake up. They break open to the issues of our time, homelessness and housing and racism and immigration reform and human rights. And we are beginning as a church to deeply engage in the community, to partner with others, willing to learn, to take risks, and even fail as we serve needs greater than our own. And here's the last piece I want to share with you in this good news sermon. It's about risks, and it's about our faith. We take these risks, or we are invited to take these risks with one another out in the community because the good news is that grace is operating in our lives and in the world. What do I mean by that? A colleague of mine says this, I think, in the best possible way, so I'm going to quote him. He says, his name is Tony Lorenzen, he says, A theology of grace is built on the trust in and dependence on something bigger and beyond the individual. Call it love, call it God, call it life. He goes on. I trust that a love, an unbounded, uncontainable, constantly available, all-accepting love will hold me up in my life's adventure. I love that. I trust that there is nothing I can do to earn this love and nothing I can do to create, to cause this love to abandon me. It gives me room to fail. It doesn't make failing easy and it certainly doesn't eliminate my personal struggles, he says, with self-esteem or trusting others, but it does allow me to keep going and see the difference between failing and being a failure. It allows me to be adventurous and take risks. It allows me to dream big dreams and make big plans and not accept, but that's the way we've always done it as a valid reason for not loving others, especially when that love calls me outside my comfort zone. I love that. I trust, he says, that a love, an unbounded, uncontainable, constantly available, all-accepting love will hold me up in my life's adventures.
And our good news, our good news is that when we leave this place, this worship space today, we are on the path to being different people. We are becoming loves people. We are becoming a spirit of life people. We are becoming risk takers for love and justice. Our good news is that we don't have to think alike to love alike. May it be so. And amen. Amen.